This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, view it this morning, and turn to Psalm 103. We're continuing our series entitled Hope from the Psalms. Uh, and there's hope from the Psalms even on Resurrection Sunday as well. Uh, if you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at huikala.org uh, or huikala.church. Uh, while we're in this uh, craziness that we're going through right now, you can always go to huikala.church. Also, before we jump into the message this morning, if you haven't yet gotten an opportunity to download the notes, uh, go to huikala.church. There's a button there where you can download the notes for today's message and follow along with that and jot some thoughts down as we go through this passage of Scripture this morning in Psalm 103. You can also download our Hui Kala app. Uh, you can click on the, uh, go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download our app. Uh, you can go to the uh, podcast section on there and listen to previous messages from this. Uh, watch them as well. There's a button there where you can actually uh, cast it out to your Google, uh, Google Cast that you have or your Apple TV or uh, some way that you can watch it on the big screen. That would be awesome as well. Uh, but uh, download that app if you would. It's a good way to stay caught up with what's going on here at Hui Kala. Psalm 103, we'll take a look at this morning. We entitled today's message, Hope from the Resurrection. Because there's an empty tomb, you and I have all the reason in the world to hope this morning. And as we uh, jump into this passage of Scripture, I hope you'll uh, take some notes as we uh, go through this passage this morning. Uh, circle, star, underline, highlight, uh, if you're using an app this morning, uh, some of these verses as they speak to you this morning as well. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts, to all the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so hath far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. The place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and the kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye, that, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all the works, the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
Today's a little bit different as an Easter Sunday. We don't get to celebrate together. Man, uh, a few weeks ago I had in my mind how this place would be filled to the gills with people. Uh, Last Easter Sunday it was packed house. We had people standing up along the back. It was an incredible day. It's always exciting to see the kiddos dressed up for Easter. Uh, We've got a picture here of me and my brother on an Easter Sunday. Uh, Man, I was a dapper-looking dude then, and I'm a dapper-looking dude now. Look at those socks all pulled up with those shorts. I'm telling you what, good-looking dude. This is also a great opportunity to be able to dress your kids up in matching clothes and things like that. Uh, here's a picture of my boys on an Easter Sunday wearing matching sweater vests. Aren't they adorable? Can't get away with that now. They're a little bit older now. Can't get away with it. But uh, And I don't get to see anybody dressed up together here. Uh, but hopefully you'll send me some pictures of you uh, worshiping together today. Uh, send me an email, pastor at whoecala.org. Uh, we had people from all over the world send us uh, pictures last week. Send me a email email with a picture of you or shoot me a text message or tag us on social media. I love to see the church worshiping together, even if we can't do it here. uh, The next best thing is to see you worshiping wherever you are today. But as we worship together, think about this. We're gathered together, not with just folks from Huikala around the world. Uh, One of the best parts about all this craziness that's going on is our ability uh, to be able to live stream our services. And we really have members around the world uh, from Huikala that have attended us previously. They can now worship together. I love that aspect of it. But today, we don't just worship as Huikala celebrating the resurrection. We gather together with Christians around the globe on this day to remember the fact that Jesus Christ died, but he is gloriously resurrected this morning. As we take a look at the uh, passage of Scripture this morning, it's important to understand. We took a look at it on Friday night. If you missed our Good Friday service, uh, listen to that after you're done with this. I know for sure it'll be a help and an encouragement to you as we took a look at the cross of Christ and Psalm 22 and everything that that means to us. We see, first of all, that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins. You see, the number one condition uh, that we have that ails us today is not a financial problem. It's not a physical sickness. The greatest problem that the world has right now is not the coronavirus. Uh, The greatest problem that we have is not uh, economic disparity. Uh, The greatest problem that we have right now is not the fact that we can't go out and do the things that we want to do or uh, things along those lines. The greatest problem that we have is a sin condition. And the good news is that Jesus' death has paid for our sin. You see, all of us have sinned. Romans six, uh, Romans three twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death." I'm sorry, Romans three twenty three rather says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." I've sinned against God. You've sinned against God. We're all sinners, and because of our sin, we're going to die one day. Because death is the price of our sin. Romans six twenty three, which I tried quoting earlier. Romans six twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death." Because I've sinned against God, because you've sinned against God, we're all going to die one day. But it's just not death on this earth that is the problem. The problem is, is that we will die and spend eternity separated from God. The Bible calls this the second death. Because of my sin, because of your sin, we're going to die one day and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's a problem. But the good news is, is that Jesus has already paid the price of our sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin. John chapter 19, verse number 28 says this, after Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said these three powerful words, it is finished. 
and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. You see, Jesus died on the cross for one purpose and one purpose only, to pay for our sins. Somebody has to pay for our sins. Either you can pay for yourself or Jesus has paid for you. It's like a restaurant. Uh, sometimes when guys go out to, to lunch to eat together, we kind of fight over who's going to pay the bill. It's kind of a macho thing to do for guys. I, I've never uh, been out to, to dinner with a group of ladies all by themselves. I don't know if ladies do the same thing where we fight over who's going to pay it, uh, who's not. Guys can even do sneaky things. A few weeks ago, we went to, to lunch with some friends, and they never brought our bill. We sat there for hours, and they never brought our bill, talking and things like that. And when it came time to go, uh, I asked the waitress, hey, uh, what about our bill? And she says, oh, he already paid. I looked at him, I said, I never saw you pay. I never saw you get up. And he says, oh, before you got here, I gave the waitress my card and told her to pay our bill. And I thought, man, that is some next level sneakiness right there. Sometimes guys see kind of as a macho thing. Well, I'm going to pay for the bill. No, I'm going to pay for the bill. And we fight over who's going to pay for it. Friend, please do not fight over who's going to pay for your sin. Jesus says, I've already paid it. You just have to apply the payment to your account. You just have to believe that, that I have died and paid for your sins on the cross. You have to believe that that's enough. And friend, uh, I've been praying for months that this Sunday would be a day where people would be saved. To be saved is to know that Jesus has paid the price of your sin for you, to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Friend, when you die, somebody has to pay for your sin. Either Jesus can pay in advance, which is the only way that he pays, or you can pay once you die, and that's the worst way in the world to go. But if you'd be willing today on this Resurrection Sunday to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he has paid the price for my sins, and I'm willing to put my faith in Jesus to save me. The Bible says that you can be saved, gloriously saved. And it doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter what type of sin you've been involved with. It doesn't matter what church you attend on a regular basis. The most important thing is, what will you do with Jesus Christ? The Bible says that no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 3. And the only way that you can go to heaven when you die is to be saved. And the only reason that Jesus came to die on the cross was to pay for your sin, to give you the opportunity to go to heaven friend, don't miss it. It'd be the most incredible Easter Sunday in the world for you to put your faith in Jesus today as your Savior. It's the only hope that you have for this life and really the next. But Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sin, and Jesus' resurrection purchased our freedom. Jesus' resurrection purchased our freedom. You see, it wouldn't have been enough that Jesus had just died. Because if he died, he would have succumbed to every other problem that you and I have, could ever succumb to. Jesus, the Bible says, uh, took upon himself our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians says for us. And Jesus became sin, and because he became sin, he died. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. He had to die. But if he had stayed dead then sin would have won. Then death would have won. Then the devil would have gotten a victory because the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, succumbed to sin, and he died just like everybody else. But on the third day, Jesus Christ rolled the stone away of his own power. 
He took up his life again of his own power and was gloriously resurrected. And that's why we celebrate today. That's really why we celebrate every single day. That's why we gather together as Jesus' church every Sunday. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day or the day that they gathered for worship was actually a Saturday? But when Jesus rose again on the first day of the week, the church then began to gather on the day to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So while Easter Sunday is definitely a remembrance of the resurrection, Easter Sunday and every other Sunday is a remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, next Sunday morning, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna gather together again and we're gonna celebrate the fact that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. You know what's going to happen the week after that? We're going to gather together and we're going to worship the fact that Jesus Christ is risen because Jesus' resurrection purchased our freedom. You see, without the resurrection, we'd still be in our sin. The Bible says that if Jesus had succumbed to sin and had died and not resurrected, you and I would still be in trouble. You and I would still be in our sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 13 it says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain or useless, worthless. And your faith is also useless, worthless, vain. Yea, and we're found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised up not, if it so be that the dead rise not. Paul says this, hey, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ isn't risen. If Christ isn't risen, then you and I are still in our sins. And not only that, we're liars. We're going around telling people that Christ is risen when he really hasn't risen. And we have a useless, worthless faith, and we are liars if Jesus Christ is not risen. It says, for if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. Here's a really important part in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain or worthless. He's already said that. But here's what else he says. Ye are yet in your sins. Oh, that's problematic. If that grave isn't empty, we're still in our sins. And if we're still in our sins, we still need a Savior. And if we still need a Savior, folks, we're toast. This church cannot save you. I cannot save you. A priest in a closet can't save you. There's no one in the world that can save you from your sins because we need a Savior, one who owes God nothing, one who has no sin debt of their own. But I'm thankful for the fact today that we can testify with assurance that Christ is risen. With that grave that he was laid in, he only needed it for a few days because he'd rise again on the third day and he's our resurrected Savior. The Bible says after about 40 days or so that he ascended back to heaven and he's coming back for us one glorious day. Without the resurrection, we'd still be in our sin. And here's the thing, if we have no freedom from sin, Jesus' death was of no value. If Jesus died but didn't set us free from our sin, why did he die? If Jesus' death wasn't good enough to cover my sin and yours, why did he have to die? If you and I are gonna go to heaven one day because we're good people or because we're religious or because we keep religious sacraments, why did Jesus die? If it's up to me anyways. Why would Jesus suffer, bleed, and die if you and I could find an alternate route to heaven? 
if we could just be good enough to go to heaven, or if we could just be religious enough to go to heaven, or we could do religious practices enough to go to heaven, then why did Jesus have to die? His death would be of no value if we're still in our sin. If I have to believe in Jesus plus be baptized in a church, then Jesus' death on the cross wasn't good enough. If I have to believe in Jesus, yet I still have to go to Mass or take communion, then his death upon the cross wasn't good enough. If I have to believe in Jesus, but I also have to be a member of a certain church to go to heaven, then his death wasn't good enough. But friend, I tell you this, that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. That we are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, Jesus is enough. I have to believe in Christ alone, by faith alone, in his grace alone, and that is what saves me from my sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 19 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. If Jesus is just good for my day-to-day life, yet he doesn't do anything for eternity, Paul says we're miserable. If Jesus' death upon the cross and his glorious resurrection isn't enough to save me from my sin, folks, we are toast. Toast. But because God became a man and dwelt among us, because God came and gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, you and I have a reason to praise today. And so... That leads us to our first thought this morning as we look through this passage of Scripture. Because Jesus is risen, we have a reason to praise. Take a look at Psalm 103, verse number 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So we have a reason to praise today because Jesus Christ is risen Hey, folks, if we have a reason to praise, today is the day that reason to praise is. Oh, we have reason to praise every single day. If you have breath in your lungs, you have a reason to praise. Sometimes we get caught up in the complaining cycle. But Job even says this, why does a living man complain? And you talk about Job, guy who'd gone through it. He says, hey, if you're still alive, why are you complaining? Hey, every day you and I have a reason to praise. But today, Christ the Lord is risen today Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is risen. God be praised. We have a reason to praise today. Psalm 47, verse number six says this. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises for God is king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Man, I love that. We don't sing because we don't have anything else to do. We don't sing to fill a little bit of our services. We sing because we have a a worthy Savior to sing to today. We sing in worship. We sing in praise. We sing in adoration. We sing because of love, because God has looked upon our helpless estate and has given us his son Jesus to pay for our sins. But Jesus is risen today, and we have a reason to praise. Secondly, in this passage, take a look at verses two through five, we see Jesus is risen, and because of that, we are blessed. Take a look at verse number two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. That word iniquities means our sin. 
who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. That word redeem means to be bought back from. God saw your life in destruction and he said, you know what? I'm willing to pay the price to get you back from that destruction. What was the cost? The life of his only son. God says, I'll pay it. Think about this for just a moment. That Jesus thought of the cost of your soul. And as he knelt in Gethsemane, and the Bible says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood as he prayed to God the Father. He says, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it be so. But he knew that that was the only way, and he chose to pay the price for you. He knew what it would cost, and he said, you are worth it. Praise God. I love the song, It Is Well With My Soul. It says that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Jesus Christ is risen today and we are blessed. Who redeemeth thy life, verse number four, from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all those that are oppressed. You see, because Jesus Christ is risen today, we are blessed. We receive blessings from God because of his son. Because that tomb is empty, you and I are blessed. See, verse number one says, bless the Lord. To bless the Lord means to, to praise him. And when we fail to praise, we fail to remember all that God has done for us. You see, time and time again throughout Scripture, the children of Israel forgot about God. They forgot about how good he had been to them. The children of Israel, and these guys, you look at them and go, what knuckleheads. I mean, they were slaves in Egypt, and God sent a man by the name of Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. And Moses took them out of Egypt after plagues, after plague, after plague, and finally, Pharaoh said, get out of here, go, be free. They left. And Pharaoh goes, that wasn't a great idea. And he sent his armies after them. And Pharaoh sent his armies after them. They came to the Red Sea and they couldn't get by. And they said, man, we're toast. Here the sea is in front of us. Our enemies are behind us. They're going to kill us all. And there Moses stood with the rod of God at the Red Sea and he parted it and the Bible says they walked through on dry land. They came to the other side and the Bible says that, that God commanded the waters to come together and they drowned Pharaoh and his armies and gave him deliverance and salvation. And you imagine, wow, how incredible that would be to see something like that. Wouldn't that do something for your faith? Wouldn't you think of God your deliverer then? And so Moses goes up on the mountain to talk to God and to get the Ten Commandments. And we find the children of Israel, what do they do? They make a molten calf. They take off all their clothes and dance naked around this golden calf. And they said, this is our God that brought us out of Egypt. Wait, what? You're, you're worshiping a cow? And you says, this cow brought us out of Egypt? Did you forget where you came from? And we look at that and go, wow, what a bunch of idiots. Hmm. But then if you and I were to look back at our life and see how God delivered us, 
don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I've looked back and go, wow, I was really smart with that. Man, I was in the right place at the right time, and I knew the right things to, to do and the right things to say. And, and man, I worked that situation out really, really well. And then when I come to a clear head, I'm like, you idiot, you forgot who got you here. Sometimes you and I look at our life and see how blessed we are, and we go, wow, we're blessed. There's been times in my life where I thought I was blessed because I was a hard worker. I thought I was blessed because I was in the right place at the right time. I thought I was blessed because of something that I had done. But then I realized the only reason that I'm blessed is because of God. Forget not his benefits. Psalm 106, verse number seven and verse 21 says this. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked them at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Even at the Red Sea, they forgot how good God was. And they says, did God really bring us out here to the, the Red Sea to die? Couldn't we have just died in Egypt? Verse number 21 is powerful in Psalm 106. It says, they forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. Friend, don't forget what God's done for you. Don't forget what he's brought you through and what he's brought you to. Again, I'll say that again. Don't forget what he's brought you through and what he's brought you to. You see, times like of uncertainty, like what we're in right now, causes us to question God. I don't know if God is gonna continue to be good. I don't know how much longer God is going to uh, do this to me. I don't know how much longer I can make it. Did you forget what God has already brought you through and forget that God has brought you to this? Look at last week how God has already figured out. He's already foreordained our suffering. Therefore, he's already foreordained our deliverance as well. He's brought us to this. Don't forget what he's already brought you through. Jesus is risen. We are blessed. But I see, I see this morning also that Jesus is risen and God is merciful. Take a look at verse number seven in Psalm 103. He hath made known his ways unto Moses, his action to all the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. See, Jesus is risen because there's an empty tomb this morning. God is merciful. The idea that God is merciful means he's not giving us what we deserve. He hasn't given us what we're due. One of the most foolish statements anyone can ever make is, well, I want God to give me what's coming to me. I want God to be fair. First of all, you don't want that, I promise. You don't want God to be fair. You don't want God to give you what you deserve. You want God's mercy. <laughs> Even those of us who have children. When I was a kid, my parents used to say this phrase to me, and it drove me bananas. I'd say, that's not fair. And my parents would say, say it with me, life's not fair. Life's not fair. And I put that on my list of things that I would never say to my children. Life's not fair. I'll never say that to my kids. Along with, because I said so. <laughs> Along with, yeah, well, I'm not Bobby's dad. I'm your dad. I'm never going to say that to my kids. All of those I have broken multiple times 
I'm sorry to my own children. I, I confess my sin before God because I say, I never say that. I lied. I say it all the time. But we sometimes say to our kids, life's not fair. Understand this, God's not fair either. And you say, well, that doesn't sound right. That sounds almost like blasphemy that God's not fair. God is not fair. God is just. That's important to understand. God is not fair because if he was fair, he'd give us what we deserve. And you know what I deserve? I deserve to go to hell because of my sin. You know why? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. I'm deserving of God's wrath. And God is merciful, so I don't get God's wrath. But because God is just, somebody has to pay. Someone must pay for my sin. Someone must endure the wrath of God for my sin. And you know who that was? It was Jesus Christ on that cross. I'm thankful today that because Jesus is risen, God is merciful. You see, if you and I must make restitution, we are hopeless. See, verse number six says, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all those that are oppressed. You see, God is just, God is righteous. Sin has a price, somebody's got to pay it. And if we have to make restitution, we are hopeless. This passage and multiple other Bible passages make away with the idea, um, do away with the idea of penance. The idea that somehow I can do some act that will pay for my own sin. That is anti-biblical. The idea that any work that I can do, whether it's praying or doing something kind for someone else, would make up for, make restitution for, make penance for my sin. You see, if I have to pay for my sin, if I have to make restitution, I am hopeless, and you are too. Psalm 130, verse number three says it this way. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? God, if you're keeping score, and he is, who can stand before you? Sometimes people think that up in heaven, there's this big scale of where the good and the bad are put on one a scale, and if the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. Friend, understand this. There's not enough good that you or I can do in this life to make up for our bad. The scale would forever be tipped against us. The Bible says that all those who reject God and reject his offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. People say, well, I thought only bad people went to hell. That is a true statement. And here's the fact. All of us are the bad people. All of us deserve to go to hell. I thought hell was only for the bad guys. It is, and the bad guy is us. If we have to make restitution for our own sin, we're toast. But because Jesus is risen, God is merciful. The Bible says that God's merciful to all who call upon him. If you take a look at uh, verse number eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Psalm 86, verse number five says, for thou, Lord, art good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. You see, if you would call out to God today and ask him to save you and forgive you of your sin, the Bible says that God's gonna be merciful and gracious to you again and again and again. But know this, if you're trusting your own works to get to heaven 
or you say, yeah, I don't really need God's forgiveness. I'll take it on my own. Hey, I'll let God give me what he thinks I deserve when I get there. Hey, at the end of the day, only God can judge me. That statement should terrify you that only God can judge you because the Bible tells us how he will judge one day. Every man according to their works, whether they be good or bad. And know this, because of your sin, God has already judged that sin and he's determined the sentence already. You're judged guilty, your sentence is death, you must pay simple as that or if you call on Jesus and you put your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and your faith in the empty tomb and the resurrected Savior the Bible says God's going to give you mercy but if you take a look at verse number 9 it says that he will not always chide neither will he keep his anger forever God's not going to hold back his wrath forever. The Bible says that God is forbearing his wrath. When my wife and I got married, uh, we uh, had a short engagement. We didn't do a lot of time to get, take a lot of time to get to know each other. We just were badly in love with each other and decided to get married. And thankfully, God's been gracious with us. I wouldn't recommend that path, but uh, God was gracious with us. We didn't do any type of premarital counseling. We didn't really uh, figure out the nuts and bolts of what marriage looked like. We just knew we loved each other. We wanted to spend the rest of our life together. And again, God was merciful and God has been gracious. But we got married and uh, we began to start looking at a budget about uh, three or four months after being married. Bad idea. You should always do the budget prior to getting married. But we did it a few months afterwards. And she says, well, I got these student loans that I have to pay for. And I go, okay, uh, let's do that. And she says, well, if you want to, they have student loan forbearance. Oh, okay, what's that? Well, the forbearance is where you don't have to pay right now, but you've got to pay someday, later in the future. They're going to give you a minute to get your finances together, and then you can pay in the future. I like that idea. Right now, there's a lot of talk about mortgage forbearance, credit card payment forbearance. And the idea is this, you're still on the hook for it, but we're gonna give you some time to get it together and then you can pay later. When the Bible says that God is forbearing in his wrath, what that means is he's gonna give you a minute to get it together, but someone has to pay. And the Bible says that God is forbearing in his wrath. He's holding it back. If you think of it like this, God's anger, God's wrath is being held back for a minute, but at some point, God is going to let it go. At some point, God's anger will not be held back. God's wrath will be not forbeared, forborn. I don't know what the right word is there, but God's not gonna hold back his wrath. At some point, it's coming. And his wrath, his judgment will be poured out upon your sin, but for right now, God's holding it back, but he's not gonna hold it back forever. So you either need to make arrangements to have someone else pay or that judgment is coming one day and payment will be made in full by your life separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's the only option. Or you can make arrangements for someone else to pay for you. I don't know about you, but I like that idea a lot better. And the idea is that Jesus Christ, by his death upon the cross, by his glorious resurrection, which we celebrate today and every other day as Christians, can make payment in full on what you owe God, and God will be merciful. 
God's merciful to all that call upon him. We see that Jesus is risen and God has forgiven. Take a look at verse number 12 in Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions or sins from us. You see, God is willing because of the work of Christ on the cross, because there's an empty tomb today, God's willing to forgive your sin, past, present, and future, and to settle your debt once and for all. And here's the awesome thing about that, is that your debt is forgiven. What you owe God, he's not holding back his wrath and then gonna pour it out one day upon you. No, no, no. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, your debt is forgiven. Now, it's really important to understand that when a debt is forgiven, somebody still has to pay. You see, if your bank decides they're going to forgive your credit card debt, that doesn't make your debt go away. It means they're willing to take the loss on it. They're willing to take the payment and willing to make the payment for that debt. You see, when God forgives our sin, he just doesn't wipe it away like it never happened. No, there still must be a payment made. And you know who said, I'll take the loss? Jesus did on the cross. Jesus says, I'm willing to make that payment for their sins. God says, I'm willing to forgive that debt. And Jesus says, great, I'll make the payment And the Bible says in verse number 12, as far as the east is from the west, so he hath removed our transgressions from us. You see that debt, that sin that we had with God, he's taken it from us. And the Bible says he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. God says, okay, that's done just like it never happened. You see, it's not like other debt when it's forgiven or discharged. You see, you file bankruptcy, that's gonna be on your credit report for up to seven years. Some permanent records, that never goes away. But when God forgives your sin, you know what the Bible says? It's gone, just like it never happened. And that's great encouragement for anybody who needs to be forgiven. I don't know about you, but there's some things I've done in my life that I regret. But you know what the Bible says? I don't have to carry that regret on a day-to-day basis because my sin, my shame, my debt, and my regret were put upon Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't have to carry my sin anymore. I don't have to be in debt to God anymore because Jesus has set me free. And because Jesus is risen, I am forgiven. Isaiah 43, verse number 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will will not remember thy sins. God says, I'm gonna take your sin and I'm gonna blot it out. You see, in Bible times, they didn't have paper like you and I have today. Uh, They would have parchment and a lot of times it would have to be reused. And so what would happen is that they would uh, write with a ink that was generally water soluble. And when it came time to erase that, they would get a, a cloth with water on it and they would blot out the writing that was on that and it would be gone and they could use it, let that piece of parchment dry and then use it like a fresh piece of paper again. And the picture is this, that God's keeping a record of every wrong that you and I have ever done. He's keeping a record of our sin and that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we ask God for forgiveness and we repent of our sin, that God takes the blood of Jesus Christ soaked in a cloth and he blots out our sin. 
and it's like it never happened. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. God remembers it no more. You see, you and I, we can forgive, but a lot of times we don't forget. God forgives and forgets. The Bible says that we're not held liable, held responsible for our sin any longer. Jeremiah 31, verse number 34, it says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them and to the great of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. I love what Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth or forgiveth iniquity, sin? And passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. There's that word again. You see, God delights in mercy. We have this idea of God sitting up in heaven with like lightning bolts waiting to get us. We look at God with a baseball bat in his hand going like, yeah, try me, son. We see God as this angry, upset father who's got a belt in his hand just waiting uh, to let us have it, to wear us out, to take us behind the woodshed every time we get wrong. That's the opposite of who God is. And if you're a father and you treat your children that same way with anger, with wrath, with hatred, with a delight in correction, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. Just know this, you are ruining your children's picture of what a heavenly father is because the Bible says that God delights in mercy. He can't wait to forgive you. He just wants to know that you are sorry, that you are asking for forgiveness, that you're willing to repent of or turn from your sin. And the Bible says that God delights in mercy. Micah 7, verse number 19 says, and he will turn again and will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. Have you ever lost something in the water before? If it's a swimming pool, you can usually enlist a few people to help you find that. We uh, take our kids to the pool. Sometimes we've got these little rings or sticks that you throw in the water, and sometimes at the end of the day, you lose one of them. You're like, how do you lose a stick in a pool? Somehow my kids do. Imagine swimming in the ocean. Maybe you lose a wedding band in the ocean. How are you going to find that? And if you just lose it in, let's just say, waist high water, you'd be in trouble. You'd have a hard time finding that again. But you know what the Bible says God's done with your sin? He's cast it into the depths of the sea. The deepest part of the ocean is where God has put your sin. You know what? You'll never find it again. God has forgiven it. He's placed it in the depths of the sea. And in his mind, it is completely and totally gone because God delights in mercy. God wants to forgive you of your sin. And that empty tomb today is a reminder that you and I are forgiven. Verse number 19 in Micah 7, though, it says, he will have compassion upon us. Look at verse number 13. We see that Jesus is risen and God is compassionate. Verse number 10, for he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He didn't give us what we deserved. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he hath removed our transgressions from us. This is like as a father, verse 13 pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. 
we in our vernacular and vocabulary today see the word pity as a negative term, like to look down on someone, like, oh, I had pity on them, so I gave them a dollar. I had pity on them, so I, was, I spent some time with them. The word pity was never meant to be used in that, that, that way. The word pity literally means compassion. God looks at our situation, and he's broken by our sinful condition. Our sin hurts the heart of God. And God looks upon us and is broken because of our sinful condition. He looks at us and has compassion on us. Friend, he looks at you in your sin and goes, mm, I have a better way for you. I want to bless you. I want to bring you into a place of, of prominence. I want to bring you into a place of blessing. I want to bring you into a place of providence. I want to provide for you. I want to give you. But I see that you're broken by your sin. And God looks it up uh, upon us with compassion. My daughter Tallulah was uh, playing out in the atrium out here uh, the other day. And she said, uh, oh, Dad, can I come with you? And I said, yeah, come with me. And so I, I heard her behind me, her little footsteps pitter-pattering. Uh, for those that don't know, Tallulah is my two-year-old daughter. Dad, can I come with you? Yeah, sweetheart, come on. I hear a little pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And then I hear, boom, a thump. That was a hard thump. And I turn around and look, and she's fallen face first. She's a clutch, just like her dad. Uh, poor thing. Uh, thankfully, she has her mother's good looks, so I think she'll be okay. Uh, but I heard a thump, and I look back, and she's face down on the ground. And she was like, oh, no. And she looked, and she had a scratch on her knee. And she's like, oh, Daddy, I got a boo-boo. So I ran over there. And what did I do? Then I look at her and go, you're so stupid. Oh, my goodness. You can't even walk straight. You can't even follow me. You're the dumbest kid that I know. Face first on the pavement. That's where you belong. Of course I didn't. You'd say, what a terrible father would say something like that. Absolutely. And so the Bible says that God is compassionate the same way that a father is compassionate towards his child. What do you think I did? I went and grabbed her up and I picked her up and I held on tight and I said, sweetheart, are you okay? And I looked at her knee and it was scraped up. And I said, you want daddy to kiss it? And she goes, I do. Thankfully, she's still two and she thinks that daddy's kisses fix everything. So I kissed it and I blew on it and I asked her if she was okay. And she said, yeah, I'm okay. And I said, you want to ride up here on daddy's shoulders? And she got up on daddy's shoulders, and guess what? Everything was over. Why? Because daddy had compassion. And friend, know this, that God is your heavenly father. When he sees you face plant, you know what he does? He runs to you the same way that a father would run to a child that he loves. And he picks you up, and he dusts you off, and he sets you up on his shoulders, and he says, come on, let's get through this. But you know the worst part about it is, is many times we as God's children, we get to messing around with sin and we face plant in our sin. And God comes over to pick us up and we're like, uh-uh. No, I'm good right here. And God looks and goes, ooh, yeah, I want to bring you out of that. Nope, I'm good. And friend, you might be watching this today and you say, I think I'm good with my sin. You might even find yourself face down in your sin in a miserable, lonely condition, and you say, nope, I think I'm good. God has compassion on you. The Bible says in Psalm 147, verse number 11, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope 
and his mercy. God has compassion. And friend, if you're, here, if you're listening to this today and you're not for sure that you're saved, God has compassion on your sinful condition and wants to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says in John chapter one, verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your savior today, the Bible says that God will make you his son. God will make you his daughter. You can be adopted into the family of God and you can have a heavenly father who loves you and is compassionate towards you. But it doesn't stop there. Verse number 13 says this, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, you can't come to God on your own. You can't become a child of God because of something that you do. You can only come to God by way of Jesus Christ in the cross. You see, the cross made a way for you to be called the sons, the daughters of God. But God is compassionate. I love this entire psalm. We don't have time to go through all of it bit by bit this morning, but I want you to take a look at verse number 14. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. You and I are nothing in the scheme of the world. If you think about the fact that there are seven and a half billion people on this planet right now, you and I are so insignificant that you and I are really nothing. And God remembers that. God knows that. Verse number 15, as for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. In other words, our life is just like the grass or the flower in a field. It's gonna flourish for a little while. It's gonna grow. But verse 16 says, for the wind passeth over it and it's gone and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the first time the wind blows, you and I are gone, gone, gone. But look at what verse 17 says. While our life is insignificant, the book of James says our life is but a vapor. It appears for a short time and then vanisheth away. You and I are like the flowers of a field. I don't know if you ever saw dandelions when you were a kid, the little flowers that you pick up and the second that you blow them, they scatter to the wind. That's what our life is like. The Bible says the, the, the wind passes over our lives and it's gone. But verse 17 says this, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Upon who? Upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. You see, Jesus Christ is risen and he is enough. Friend, I'm not sure what you think you're looking for in this life, but I'm telling you it's Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what you think will bring significance and meaning, but I'm telling you it's Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what you think that life is all about, but it's all about Jesus. And because Jesus Christ is risen, he's proven that he is enough. Friend, I can't tell you what my life would be like without Jesus. I hate to think about it. I can't imagine facing something like this coronavirus pandemic without the Lord. I can't imagine wondering if I'm gonna get it, if I'm gonna die, what happens when I die. I can't imagine wondering what would happen to my family or, or does anybody care about me, but I know that because I have Jesus Christ as my Savior, I know where I'm going when I die, whether I die this week or I die 50 years from now. I know where I'm going and it's heaven. Not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus Christ has saved me from the penalty of my sin and has promised me a home in heaven. I know that if I die, that my family will be cared for because God promises to care for me and the people that I care for. 
I know that I have people around me who care about me, who love me, and will look out for my family when I'm dead and gone. You know why? Because I have a family here in Jesus' church. And I'm telling you this, times of uncertainty, I'm not really all that worried. Finances, I know that God's gonna take care of every need that I have. Health, I know God's gonna take care of every need that I have. Family, I know God's gonna take care of every need that I have. Why? Because God's promised to show his mercy. Take a look at verse number 17, from everlasting to everlasting. From before I was born to long after I'm gone, God will be merciful. He's promised to be enough. Ephesians chapter four, verse, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter two, verse number four. But God who is rich in mercy, again, we see that God is merciful. For his great love wherewith he loved us, he loves us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together or made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know what God says? I love you. I'm merciful to you. I'm willing to take you from being dead in your sins to being alive in Jesus Christ. And I want to show you off as a picture of how great I am to those that love me. God's promised to give his mercy from everlasting to everlasting upon those that fear him, those that worship him, those that respect them, those that follow them. He's going to be merciful from before you were born to long after you're gone and we get to live with him for all of eternity in heaven because Jesus is enough. But our final thought here this morning in verse number 17 and 18, I want you to see this. Following Jesus, coupled with the mercy of God, blesses you and blesses others. Following Jesus, coupled with the mercy of God, blesses you and blesses others. Take a look at verse number 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, his righteousness unto children's children. You know what that means? That means my grandkids are going to be blessed because I followed after Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Verse number 18, who's he going to give his mercy to? To such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them. Follow Jesus. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your family. He's going to take care of your grandkids. People say, well, I think it's a pretty bold statement to make. Here's the fact that I know. My grandfather, both of them, on my mom and my dad's side, were both alcoholics, both abusive, both were terrible men. And you know who paid the price for that? My parents paid the price for that, no doubt. But do you think that had any effect on the way that my parents treated me and my brother? Thankfully, my parents didn't drink alcohol. Thankfully, my parents were not abusive. But I look at that and I look at how they parented me. Would that make an impact on me and my brother growing up? Yeah. You know why? Because the Bible says that a man's sins extend to extended generations. But the good news is, is God's blessings extend to generations as well. I believe that I'm blessed because my parents made a commitment to follow after Jesus. The Bible says that a a man's children are blessed after him if he follows after the Lord. I believe that I'm blessed because my parents were faithful. 
I believe that I am blessed because I am faithful. I believe my children will be, be blessed because I choose to follow after God. And God's mercy, God's love, God's blessings are not just for you, they're to bless those around you. And you might be listening to this today thinking like, well, I'm a single adult or I don't have any kids, so this doesn't really matter to me. No, 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 no. God blesses you so that you can bless others. God gives you good things so that you can give good things to others. God's given you his son, Jesus, so that you can be forgiven of your sins, but so that you can share Jesus with others. Oh, I'm not meant to hoard God's blessings. I'm meant to distribute God's blessings. I'm thankful for people in our church this week who have brought groceries by, who have brought food by, who have brought gift cards to the grocery store by for families in need during this time. I'm thankful for folks who say, hey, if anybody needs uh, furniture, we have some extra furniture. Hey, if anybody needs a place to stay, we've got an extra room. I'm thankful for people like that who realize that they didn't get God's blessings to hoard God's blessings, but to distribute God's blessings. I'm thankful for the folks in our church who've been faithful with their tithes and offerings because they say, hey, this money's not mine. It belongs to the Lord, and I want to give to the Lord and his work. I want to give to the church so that it can perform the mission that God's given the, the church of reaching the world with the gospel. I want to give so that others in need can have what they need. I don't, I don't get God's blessings just for me. Oh, that's a side benefit of it. God blesses me so that I can bless others. And following after Jesus, together with the mercy of God, blesses me, but it also blesses others. Friend, there's an empty tomb today. We talked about the cross on Friday night and everything that the cross means to us. We don't have a lot of crosses here at Who We Call. This is a cross that we keep uh, for purposes like today, to remember what Christ has done for us. But we don't put crosses on the wall. We don't have crosses on our sign. We don't have crosses on our website. Because sometimes crosses can become an icon that people look to for hope. It really just becomes another idol. People get uh, crosses tattooed on their forearm because they want to remember Jesus. How about this? How about you hide God's word in your heart that you might not shed against him? That's what the Bible commands us to do. Sometimes people wear crosses because they want to remember uh, the, the effect that Christ has had on their life. And I don't have anything against uh, if you have cross jewelry. But today's not about the cross. For the life of a Christian, it's not about the cross. It's about an empty tomb. <laughs> I do have a major pet peeve, the jewelry or depictions or pictures that people have of Christ on the cross. Christ is no longer on the cross. And if you have a piece of jewelry with Jesus on the cross, I say Jesus isn't there anymore. He's risen the cross served its purpose. It's no longer necessary. The empty tomb provides hope for you and I over our sinful condition, hope for this life, and hope for eternity. And I don't know if they actually make crosses, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, jewelry or necklaces with an empty tomb on it. That would be kind of cool. I don't know. But for me, this cross made all the difference in the world to me. The empty tomb is every bit of hope that I need for today and forever. And because Jesus is risen, I have a reason to praise. Because Jesus is risen, I am forgiven. Because of Jesus is risen, God has been merciful to me. Because Jesus is risen, God is compassionate to me. Because Jesus is risen, he is enough. That's all I need. Just Jesus. I'll be okay. 
And friend, I tell you this today. If Jesus is all you have, you'll soon realize that Jesus is all that you need. There's hope found today in the empty tomb. There's hope in the resurrection today. And friend, while we might be facing uncertain days on this earth, eternity can be certain. If you're listening to this today and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, you're not 100% sure that when you die that you will go to heaven. You're not sure your sins are forgiven. You're not sure that you're saved. Friend, know this. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 3. You need to be saved today. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. The Bible says that our life is like the grass of the field. As soon as the wind blows, it's gone. But God's mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his love, it endures forever for those that follow him. If you're listening to this today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't hit the end button. Please don't close out your browser. Please don't put away your phone without making peace with God today. There's nobody on the cross and there's nobody in that tomb because Jesus is enough to save you from your sins. If you don't know for sure that you're saved today, I would encourage you to put your faith in Jesus today. Being saved is not a matter of joining the right church. It's not a matter of attending church. It's not a matter of going through religious practices. Being saved is not a matter of being baptized or taking communion or getting involved in religious rituals. Being saved is recognizing I need Jesus. And if you today would be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be saved. If you're listening to this and you don't know for sure that you're saved, I would encourage you to pray a prayer of faith like this. The words are not important, but the heart is. The Bible says that if you want to be saved, you need to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead and you can be saved. So if you today would be willing to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, would you pray a prayer and mean it like this? God, I believe that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that I deserve your judgment. But God, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins and save me. Again, a simple prayer of faith like that today will save you, not just for today, but forever. God, I believe that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that I'm in danger of your judgment. But God, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. If you would pray a prayer in faith like that today, you can be saved. If you prayed that prayer right now, you are saved. And if you do me a huge favor, if you prayed that prayer, if today you put your faith in Jesus, if today you were saved, would you send me an email and let me know that? I'd love to, to praise God with you. Pastor at whoecall.org, drop me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're watching this on Facebook, put in the comments, I put my faith in Jesus today. I got saved today. I was born again today. You say, well, that's kind of embarrassing. Jesus said this, hey, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my heavenly Father. Being a follower of Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. If you're a child of God, if you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus today, remember the empty tomb is proof that you can trust God. The empty tomb says hope today. And I don't know about you, but as the days go on of this quarantine, the days go on of the coronavirus, one thing I see in short supply is a lot of hope. 
We have hope today in a resurrected Savior. We have hope and a reason to celebrate today. If you are a child of God, would you do something today? Would you praise God for his hope? If you're a child of God today, would you thank God for an empty tomb? And remember, this week, next week, and the week after that, Jesus Christ is all that you need. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the empty tomb today. We celebrate because we serve a resurrected Savior. I pray that you would help us to remember that each and every day. God, we thank you for the fact that you are not fair, you are just. We thank you for the fact that we don't get what we deserve, you are merciful. We're thankful for the fact that you don't hold our wrong over our head, but you are forgiving. We're thankful for the fact that when we face plant, you don't leave us, judge us, but you're compassionate. Help us to make use of that today. Father, we thank you for the death of Christ upon the cross. We praise you for his glorious resurrection. And I pray that you would help us this week to live a life that was worth your son dying for. God, I pray for those that put their faith and trust in Christ today. I pray that you would help them to follow hard after you and to see that you have what they desire in life. We thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus. And because of what he's done for us, we can pray to you today. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.